Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Amen. That's great. It's such a blessing to have Shane and Gemma here at Lakeside. It's really awesome what they do and how they share their, their gifts and their talents with us. And it's also great to have Jaden coming and sharing life at Lakeside as well. I should point out, I'm very happy that I had a breakdown in Albany instead of a breakup in Geraldton. <laughs> no, we... I thought that was clever. We... <laughs> Uh, now we had a good time down in Albany, nothing, nothing broke down, uh, everything worked well, which is great, we had a good time, uh, and we are starting a new year, new sermon series, uh, so we're going to be in Proverbs, uh, a few of us are going to be sharing with you our favourite proverb, uh, and we're going to be sharing some practical wisdom, so hopefully it's a bit practical, hopefully there's a bit of wisdom, and together we have practical wisdom, so really looking forward to that over January. Uh, before that, um, I'm Brayden, uh, I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, haven't broken up, still with my wife, <laughs> didn't car, still works. Uh, love being here, love you guys, really excited to be here with you sharing. Uh, and I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into Proverbs. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you're a good God, we thank you that you love us and we thank you that we have your word and that you uh, have in your, in your word included wisdom. And we thank you for that, and we pray that your spirit would be with us, uh, helping us to understand what it means to be a follower of you, what it means to be wise, and what it means uh, to, to, to love you and, and, and fear you. We pray that you would help us to listen, help us to understand what you have to say to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, before we get into our, our passage, I thought it'd be worth doing a brief introduction to Proverbs, because... Uh, can be a bit of a funny book sometimes, and if you don't really know what's going on, uh, Proverbs are quite strange. You read it, you're like, all right, what's going on here? Um, all these little weird grasshopper sayings, and, and we have Proverbs today, uh, even in our culture. So, for, for instance, we have a poor worker blames his tools. That, that's a proverb. Uh, or we have a chain is only as strong as the weakest link. And these are proverbs or short sayings that we have underlying, that have this underlying meaning. And as we think about those statements, we uncover rules for life, for better or for worse, for how to live our lives. And that's generally how a proverb works. They're short sayings that provide advice and rules for life. And if you blame your tools, uh, you might not be a good worker. If you're working with a team, your concern should be for, for, for who is the weakest person on that team. They're, they're rules for life, and the book of Proverbs does the same. They're, they're, it's a book of, of Proverbs that contain these short statements that provide us with advice as to how we should live our lives. And, and you can sort of divide this into two categories. There's, there's Proverbs that help us make decisions. Uh, so you notice in the Bible, uh, there, there's no definite answer for some questions that we have. So there's no, uh, Jill should or shall marry Bob, lest she face the wrath of God. But, but there are different principles and advice that we can follow about how Jill can find a good husband. 
Proverbs uh, also provide principles of how to conduct ourselves in different situations, how we make difficult decisions when we are faced with them, what kind of people we should hang around with and what kind of friends we should make. And then Proverbs also help us with discipline. And once again, the Bible doesn't give us a detailed budget of how we should spend our money, uh, but it does give us advice to how to be disciplined with our money, how we to be wise with our money. It gives us uh, steps that we can take that help us to be disciplined so that we can resist evil. And when you boil that down, Proverbs are essentially this guide for how to have godly wisdom, how to live a good godly life and make good godly decisions. And there are two things that we need to be careful of as we read Proverbs. The first one is read small and read often. So don't try and, don't try and smash Proverbs out uh, in the course of a week. Read, just read like one proverb a day when you read it. Read, read one proverb and actually think about what it's saying. Think about like what is, what, how do I apply this bit to my life? How, how am I not fulfilling what this proverb says? How, how do I really, you know, how do I really follow this? How do I be wise like this proverb calls me to be? The, the other thing that we need to be really careful of as we read Proverbs is don't, don't automatically associate yourself as the good guy when you read Proverbs. So when we read books or when we watch movies, we, we kind of automatically, we, we associate with the good guy, but Proverbs isn't there for that. Proverbs is there to help us to become wise and to not be like the fool. So sometimes if you're like, all right, if I was to identify as a, as a Bible character, I'd be David uh, before Bathsheba, I would be Peter after the Pentecost, and I'll be Jesus except for the part where he turns water into wine. But, you know, like that's, that's the kind of, you know, we kind of identify and see it, the good, our good in these characters, but the point of Proverbs isn't for us to try and sympathise with the wise person and look down on the fool, it's to show us how we might be the fool and how we can be the wise person. And so as you read it, think about how you can become more like the wise person. How, how can I be more wise? How can I stop living uh, and, and doing foolish things? And the trickiest thing for us in Australia uh, to do that is that we have this culture of she'll be right. We have there's this little Australian proverb, she'll be right. And, and the she'll be right proverb illustrates that, uh, that we're not in love as, or as in love with wisdom as much as we should be. When, when we say she'll be right, it advocates the rule of, of life that even though I know the smart thing to do, I'm not going to do it because I think that there won't be any consequences. And so the, the She'll Be Right proverb teaches us that being wise isn't necessarily in our best interest. You know, should I put on sunscreen? Nah, she'll be right. Has anyone been hurt by that one so far? She'll be right, it'll be fine. Next day, you're a lobster. And you're like, oh man, what was I thinking? You know, or, you know, should I wear safety glasses? Nah, she'll be right. It'll be fine. We'll just, you know, saw this thing or drill into this thing or, or, you know, be around this thing that's probably going to get into my eye. She'll be right. Next thing you know, oopsie-daisy, you know. Or, you know, there, you know, there's all these different things that we do. You know, should I not leave this thing till the last minute? Nah, she'll be right. I can get it done. It'll be fine. No worries. Oh, boy. You know, like, it's this, it's this thing, you know, it's, and it's even more painful that, that, that this Australian proverb, she'll be right, demonstrates that we, we actually know what to do. You know, we know we're supposed to put on sunscreen. We know that we're going to get sunburnt. We know that it's going to be a problem if we leave something to the last minute. 
And it disconnects this idea between knowing what to do and, and doing what we know we should do. And so wisdom is this idea of, of connecting knowing and doing together. I, I know I should put on sunscreen, so I'm going to put on sunscreen because I understand how they connect and how that all fits together. And so before we even start talking about wisdom, we need to actually establish that wisdom is something that we should value and not in the sense... Sometimes we have like this general, like, oh, yeah, I'd love to be wise, it'd be great. But we don't actually think about how that process comes about and how the discipline goes into being wise. It's kind of like sometimes we have like these dreams or ambitions, you know, oh, I'd love to run a marathon one day. How many times a week do you run? Oh, none, I don't, don't really do that. <laughs> you know, oh, I'd love to learn a language. You know, when are you going to do that? Oh, just hoping I'll pick it up. You know, like, there's this thing where we, we have ambitions, but we don't really actually want to get there, or we don't, we're not willing to put in the work to actually get there, and so wisdom is this thing where we don't just be like, oh, yeah, I'd love to become wise one day. Like, you actually need to put in work to get there. It takes discipline, it takes hard work, and this all starts with Proverbs 9, verse 10. And so Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this fear of the Lord concept is something that's like a, it's a central pillar of Proverbs. And so a bit of background on Proverbs, chapters 1 to 9 kind of feature as this kind of introduction to how, how Proverbs works, and it in, includes wisdom in there, but it's also kind of teaching us about how, how wisdom looks and how we should value wisdom and how we should understand wisdom. And at each side of that, we have this fear of the Lord thing. So in chapter 1, in verse 7, uh, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then at chapter 9, right at the end, in verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And it's like these two bookends for how Proverbs sees wisdom. And so wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And sometimes that, that can get a little bit fire and brimstone-y and we can start to do different things. And, and sometimes the, the idea of fear can conjure up some things that aren't necessarily what is represented when we talk about the fear of the Lord. So sometimes uh, fear can, can uh, kind of conjure up these concepts of things that are inherently bad, so things like trauma um, or, or things like oppression or even like irrational fears. But that's not, it's not the fear that we're talking about. We're not talking about a fear that actually works to our detriment or something that, that harms us. It's actually a fear that is good. It's not something that's bad. It's something that's good. And the best way that we can understand the fear of God, because it is a little bit, a little bit vague and a little bit multifaceted, is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer and how we pray God and how Jesus calls us to address God. So it was our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so there's two things. There's our Father who's in heaven and then hallowed be thy name. So we have this intimate relationship with God where God is our Father. And one of the main ways that people describe the fear of the Lord is he, he, He's like a parent. He's like a father. And they, they, you know, the, the kid knows that their the parent loves them. And they also realise that they're completely dependent on their father. You know, there's, there's this, the, the fear isn't so much in what their father might do to them, but there's this fear in being separated from their father. You know, if, if they're separated from their father and they can't be dependent on them, if they do wrong by their father, you know, there's this distancing. 
there's this fear of like, oh man, if I, if I do wrong by dad, you know, it almost creates this distance between us when he's angry at me. Or, you know, if dad disappears and goes to work, or if he plays peekaboo and he disappears, then, then God's, you know, then my dad's not there. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm helpless. I don't know where the food comes from. I can't change my nappy. You know, there's this thing where, like, oh, man, I'm dependent and I'm fearful of anything being separated, you know, any, any kind of separation from my father. And that's the kind of fear of God, is there's this fear of being separated from God. This fear, like, this fear that we could hurt our relationship with God or our, our relationship with God could become further away. And then there's this other, this other facet. So that, that facet kind of you know, makes us feel all warm and fuzzy and we feel really good about ourselves. But there's also this other one where it says, hallowed be thy name. And, and so while we have this, this intimate relationship with our Father, there's also this, this kind of fear where, where God is holy. You know, God is powerful. And as we approach God, he, he's our Father, but he's also our judge and our king. And we need to treat him in that way. We need to take him seriously. You know, you know one of the ways that we can think of it is like a power tool. You know, power tools are good things. They, they can help, help you do things. You wear your safety glasses because that's wisdom. You know, but but you know, when I was growing up, my mum you know, should freak out any time I went near a power tool. Because if you, if you mess with power tools, there's consequences. And, and she was a radiographer, so she would take x-rays of, of people who didn't take power tools seriously. And so she knew what the consequences were if I, if I messed around with them. And, you know, but you know, if, we, if we don't take God seriously, there's consequences. God is serious. God is powerful. Oh, here's another one. I, I sent my slides in a bit late, so I'm sorry. There's not a photo on the screen. But... I'm not sure. Last year, I told a story about my friend and my brother who went spearfishing and they saw this big shark. So when I was down in Albany just over the week, we were kind of reflecting on that and we were talking about uh, how that works. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, we went back there as well. Did we tell you about that? He's like, I was like, no, what are you... He's like, oh, yeah, we went back down there. I was like, come on, man, like, surely not. And he's like, yeah, like... And I was like, but, you know, there's sharks. He's like, yeah, we saw so many, it was crazy. I was like, what? Come on, this is ridiculous. And he's like, yeah, there's one that was circling us the whole time. And I, and I was like, surely just get out of the water. Just go, go buy a fish at Woolies. Like, <laughs> but, but he was determined and, and he caught this fish. He, he, he speared this fish. And, and while he was down on the bottom, so his fish was floating around on the top while he was looking for another one, and he heard this thrashing. And he came back to uh, the top and there was this big chunk missing out of his fish. And there's this photo, and the chunk that's missing out of the fish is bigger than his head. So it's, it's a big, it's not like a little nibble, it's like a, a chomp. He's like, yeah, man, it was crazy. I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, surely you understand how sharks work. Surely you understand that they're hungry things, they have big jaws, they take big bites out of things, and you're a thing. <laughs> like, and it's like, this thing, like, why are you messing with that? And it's like, when you, when you understand with God, it's like, what are you messing with him for? Don't you understand how powerful he is, how, how holy he is? Like, you've got to take him seriously. It's like, almost like we're just like jumping in the water. You know, you might even, you know, like try and like, you know, throw some burly in the water around you. You know, like, <laughs> come get me sharky. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Like, sometimes you just don't take God seriously. 
you know, we, we just, you know, do the wrong thing by God when He you know, is so powerful and holy and, and serious. And if you look at, if you look at your, your Bibles in verse 9 and 10, um, most translations will have LORD in all caps. And that's not, it's not like a spelling mistake or a weird thing that they do just because they thought it would be cool. That sometimes you see Lord and it'll just be like a capital L. But in this case and in many other cases, Lord will be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the reason they did that is because of the way that the Hebrews wrote their Bible. And so originally, um, when you see Lord in all caps, it was actually originally Yahweh. But throughout time, the Hebrews, you know, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they became so concerned with, with how reverent God was that they're like, we can't say his name. And, and so what they'd do is they, they, every time Yahweh would come up, they would say Adonai, which meant Lord, because like, we, can't, we can't say his name, he's too holy. We've got to take him seriously. And eventually, they were so concerned of someone not paying attention when they were reading the Bible that they actually started spelling Yahweh wrong on purpose. Because like this guy accidentally read, he might actually accidentally say God's name, so we'll spell it wrong, so that they would be reminded. So they even if they accidentally said it, because they were like, man, like God is so reverent, we're going to take this guy seriously, because they feared the Lord, they revered Him, and they they knew that they were dealing with the God of the universe, and they took that seriously. And sometimes we just, we just don't take Him serious, and we forget that he's actually the person who made the universe. He's the person who is the judge over the living. We believe, you know, we believe in a gospel, we believe we're saved by grace and, and we're justified not by our actions and it's not about what we do, um, it's about what Jesus did for us, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But it's really easy to sneak in this little lie that, you know, because of that, we're just going to take it easy because we're going to heaven no matter what we do. This is not how it works. That's, you know, we need to take God seriously. We, you know, we have our Father in heaven. Yes, God loves us. God died for us. But we also need to take him seriously. Hallowed be thy name. We need to take God seriously. When we, when we take God seriously, we become wise. When we, when we cling to him like a father, we become wise. But we need to do both. You know, if, if, we, if we gravitate too much to the Father and we forget about actually taking him seriously, sometimes... You know, we, we we become less and less concerned with, you know, what we actually do and who we are. Sometimes we, we gravitate so much towards, you know, hallowed be your name, and particularly the generations kind of before me, there was this emphasis, you know, hallowed be your name, like, don't you dare stuff up. And, and it becomes legalistic, and a lot of you, like, you would have been hurt by that. You know, how dare you, like, and it's just, there's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no, no Jesus in that story. And it becomes like a transaction, you know, like if, if, if I do the right thing, you know, if I don't stuff up, God might not smite me. But there's a balance, like God, you know, God is our Father. God loves us. God sent His Son to die for us. And, and we fear anything of being separated from that or leaving that space. And at the same time, we hold in the other hand, God is, God is you know, God is the maker of the universe. He is holy. And so we hold this thing in two hands, you know, man, I, all I want to do is just be close to you, God. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be, everything else is scary. Like, I, I don't know why I'd want to be anywhere else. And at the same time, man, like, you are my judge. I'm at your mercy. So two hands, we hold both of them at the same time. 
And the question is, how do we do this? Because like history, like history paints a pretty clear picture that it's really hard. Like we, we don't do that well. We we emphasize one or the other. We, we sometimes we don't do either. Um, but it says the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we know God, when we really know God, we understand who He is and our relationship with Him. When we look at the gospel, when we we realize that God loved us so much, like we're like, man, like I wouldn't be anywhere else. Why would I want to be anywhere else than with God? Like, it's, he's my daddy. Like, I, like I'm useless without him. Like, any, anything else is just it's not good. You know, at the same time, like, man, like, God is powerful. Like, I, like a, I'm not jumping in the water with that shark. You know, it's just like, why would you do that? It just doesn't make sense, you know. And, and so we need to do both. And, un, and, and doing that is understanding who God is. You need to know who God is. And, and quite often we forget, you know. Like, sometimes there's moments where, like, you forget that God is actually our Father, and sometimes you forget that God is really powerful. And, and when we do that, we do silly things. That's, those are the moments where we don't do things that are terribly wise, right? And so we need to continue to remind ourselves. And, and the best illustration of that is Job. Um, so, so Job, it was, it was this guy, and you know, he was really righteous. God was telling uh, the, the Satan or Satan uh, how righteous he was and, and you know, say, you know, Satan's like, oh, like he's only righteous because of the, you know, the the good, you know, the good things that you've given him. You know, let me test him. Like, let me try this out. And so, the, this series of things happened where where um, Job was inflicted with pain. Things were taken away from him. He lost pretty much everything. He's covered in these sores to the point where he's trying to scrape them off. Like he's in agony. And I guess the point where he actually starts questioning God. And if anyone's got a right to question God, it's Job. Like, he's lost everything, man. Like, he's, he was righteous. He was doing the right thing. All of a sudden, everything's taken away. And then the Lord responds to Job. And like, if you read, read out even just the first bit of this, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. When God says that to you, you should be quite scared. That's not a good thing for God to say to you. And he, and he says, where were you when I, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it on where on what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. And this goes on and on, like it's just it's brutal, man. It's like God just lays into Job. You know, it's like, Job mate, are you are you seriously questioning me? Do you mean to, do you mean to tell you how I made time? Do you know how to put an atom together? Like, man, like, Job, you, you forgot who I am. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm God. You, like, you should know this, Job. Just, you forgot in this moment who I am and you, and you questioned me. And that kind of illustrates what happens when we, we do foolish things. We forget who God is. You know, we've forgotten that, you know, our measly few decades of wisdom and knowledge and understanding pales in comparison to who God is. And that's, that's how the Garden of Eden worked. When God says, you know, don't eat the fruit or bad things will happen, humans say, I don't think anything will bad will happen if we eat the fruit. Like, 
do you really think God's wrong? Like, come on, man, like, what are you doing? Like, it's just, you know, and that's what happens. It's almost like there's this complete disconnect, you know, with the fact that God actually made everything and God knows what's going on. He's actually powerful. He actually, he programmed your brain. He, he knows how things are supposed to work. He knows what's best for us and when we do different things to what he said we should do, it's not because we've outsmarted God. It's not because we figured out, you know, oh, God had this total blind spot, like, you know, this is how we should actually do it. No. Like, we, you know, we, we're just doing it wrong. <laughs> that's, like, that's, the, that's the honest truth of it. Sometimes we just forget to actually remember who God is and we forget that he is someone to be feared. We forget he's someone that we should try to be close to and that we should be fearful of, of doing anything apart from him. And, and so my practical wisdom for you today is to actually kind of do a bit of a spiritual order. And, and what I mean by that is I want you to actually encourage you to think about how your life currently reflects the fear of God. And to do that, sometimes it's easy to, to break things up into different compartments. Um, so traditionally, like, everything kind of revolved around your family and you had a very small circle of people that you knew. That's how the old kind of society worked. But now we, we have different things. So, you know, you have, like, you know, you have thousands of friends on Facebook and, you know, you have your work friends that have nothing to do with anyone else. You have your family and your extended family that have nothing to do with everyone else. You know, and then you have your social kind of sphere that have nothing to do with anyone else either. And then you kind of come to church and, like, no one knows what you've done for the rest of the week. It's all fine. And, and so it's actually helpful sometimes, rather than just, like, generally looking at life as a whole, actually think about the smaller social networks, the smaller spheres of life, and assess each one of them. And, and, and so, you know, like sometimes, sometimes we, you know, we can come to church, we fear God here, we know who God is, we remember that, but then, you know, we go to work and it's like, you know, God doesn't exist between seven, you know, nine to five weekdays and 7 to 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. Like, God doesn't exist then. But apart from that, like, we're, we're switched on, we fear the Lord and so it's actually helpful to, to kind of go through the different spheres of our life, the different circles of friends that we have, how we interact with people, how we interact when no one's looking at all, and assess how we fear the Lord. So there's four, four spheres that um, I want to look at, two of them more closely. So the, the main two ones is economic, uh, which is anything that you do that kind of has like a, a final, like, kind of think for, towards like earning income, earning a living. So it might be school right now. So you look, you're going to school so that one day you can get a job um, or it might be, you know, you go to your job. That's how you earn your money. That's how you provide for your family or, or save up for whatever it is that you want to buy. Uh, and then we have social, which is all your hobbies. So, you know, you have a circle, you might, you know, play sport with a group of friends, you might um, have a knitting club or, you know, you might go fishing or, or whatever it might be. You might play an instrument with a bunch of people, you'll be in a band. Um, and then you have another sphere, which is your family. And so you might be a parent, you might be being parented, um, you might not be loving that right now, but that's okay. You might be grandparenting now. You might be in that stage of life and, and you know, you'll be loving your spouse and supporting the different family members that you have. And then the final sphere is faith. So you have your, your church community and, and you, know, you spend your alone time with God and have your quiet time as well. And in each sphere, you can ask yourself, how does my attitude and behaviour in that sphere reflect the fear of God? And so the two main ones that I want, I want to look at so economic and social. So in the economic sphere, once again, so two hands, so dependent, clinging to God, and in the other hand, reverent and taking God seriously. 
So do you rely on God when you're at work or at school? And, and this is the hardest one in the Western world because it's really easy to forget the need for God in the economic sphere in Australia. You know, because we're, we're so well looked after and in addition, like, we love to be independent. And so to be dependent, you have to be humble. You know, and if COVID's taught us anything, we realise that anything can be taken away and that we do need to depend on God. In just the same way that when you're a kid, you know, it's, it, like we, we want to depend on him like a father in everything that we do. And not just in a chore kind of way, but like in this, like, like everything's just better when you do it with God. Like, every, like everything's better when you do it with God. When you're working and you're like, God, like help me through the day, let's do this together. It's just better. Same way, it's just, it's just, like when you're a kid, it's just better to do things with your dad, right? Like, it's just like, oh man, like I love, you know, it's just so much better. Um, and, and so, I, I, you know, it might be something, it might be a quick prayer, like, God, help me and be by my side throughout my day, you know, or God, like, I just need help with this decision, I don't know what I'm doing here, you know, like, God, like, I've got a test, I haven't studied, I should have, I know, I left it to the last minute, like, please pull off a miracle. <laughs> but, you know, but then at the same time, do you take God seriously? Are, are, you, a, are you a worker that, that works in a way that reveres God? Are, are you a student that, that interacts with your, your teachers and your peers in a way that reveres God? Because if you're the kind of person that takes God seriously, then your actions should look like that. You know, sometimes the way that you conduct yourself and your behaviour and, you know, how you make decisions, how you interact with people and treat people... Um, it's the greatest ministry of all, and so we should be people of integrity. We make decisions that have integrity in everything that we do. You know, we study. You know, you you don't cheat on your tests. You make it. You know, if you make a business decision, like you you play by the book. Like you, you have integrity. You know, it's really funny. Um, you know, getting to know my dad as an adult because you really get to know what he was actually like as a person. Like when he when you're a kid, it's like dad's just dad. Like. Who knows what's going on? Uh, but I'm gradually learning what he was even like as a worker. And I knew he worked hard. You know, he worked long days. He never complained. Um, but before he kind of semi-retired himself, he managed a bunch of people. And, and Albany's a small place, and so sometimes when I'm walking around in town, we bump into people or, we, or you know, I'll run into someone that Dad would work in. And every time I talk to them, they, they wish he was still there which is weird for a bunch of country burly guys because my dad's a spreadsheet guy. Like he, like he, he's not like a, you know, a big guy that's going to lay down the law and, and drink beers with the boys. Like he's just like, but they wish he was still there because he had integrity. You know, he's a man that treated people fairly. He did right by people. He worked hard. He looked out for people. And, and it speaks wonders for the kingdom when, when a person of integrity is a, is a person, you know, as a Christian, like, oh man, we want to have more of them around. Like, like if... How, how, how good of a, of, of a ministry is it when it's like, man, like we need to employ more of those guys? And if you, if you look at the... If we move on to the social sphere, do the activities you participate in help you to draw closer to God or do they make you move away from God? You know, or, or does your, your social stuff distract from your time with God? You know, the, the social sphere is an important one, but it can really attack things like family and faith if we're not careful. Because, you know, the social sphere is a, is a fun sphere. Like, we love, we love the social sphere. It's an important sphere of life. And so much so that, that we find ourselves sometimes, we'll, we'll, we'll be so kind of engrossed in the social sphere that we, we find ourselves drifting away from God. 
you know, or you might be so caught up in the social sphere that we don't have time for God. But once again, it's so much better when God is by your side. You know, and how, how does your behaviour uh, in, in those situations reflect how, how you take God? You know, how, how do you talk to the referee? You know, because sometimes, you know, especially in certain heated moments, it's really easy to forget who God is and to fear God. And that's when we start doing foolish things. Or, or sometimes it's really easy to get in this habit of, you know, it's, it's not God time so I can get away with a little bit more, but God is there everywhere. It's kind of like, you know those movies where, like, someone will, will do something bad or say something bad and then they realise that, like, a priest is there? And like, oh, sorry, man, like, don't tell God. Like, God's there all the time. Like, you don't need to worry about him judging you. Like, God's the one that judges you. Like, that's, like, that's the least thing. And, and the stupid thing about, is that, like, 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 he's always there. Like, don't worry about, like, what your pastor sees. Like, that's, um, that's all I got for that. But that's, he, he knows everything. He sees everything. He knows what you're like in every sphere. There's not certain times where it's God time, God's watching, and not. Um, family, family's a really hard one um, because everyone's got a very different family situation. I'm still very much at the beginning of the family journey, so I don't really have a whole lot of wisdom for you. A ton of you would have so much more to offer. But there's two things that I, I want to say quickly. Um, what, whatever family you have, do your best to show them the lo- same love that God had for you and do your best to encourage them and help them to fear God. And for faith, just quickly as well, like, like you guys know how you're doing here. Like, you, like you've had enough sermons that kind of tell you how, how you're going there. But like just, do you, like just quickly ask yourself, do you put in the time to draw near to God or, or do you let the other spheres take over? You know, do, you spend, like, do you take your faith seriously? And, and I want to finish off. Um, it's really weird being a youth pastor um, that can't play basketball at Lakeside. Like, it's quite strange. And, and so, over time, like, I've made an effort to try and learn a little bit about how to play basketball um, so I can play with your youth kids. I'm never going to be amazing, as your kids have made abundantly clear. Um, but as, as, I, as I try and learn how to play basketball, I, I watch the SBL, but I don't try and learn how to play from them because I... I'm never going to be as good as them. I actually, I actually watch the little dribblers on Monday afternoon. They're like this high. Um, and my, my office is there, so I can look out the window and see what they're doing. And, and the coaches, like Dave Daniels, is out there teaching them how, how to play basketball. And there's like these different rules that are really annoying to learn as a kid because it's not, you know. And so one of them is, if, like, if the person moves the ball from side to side, you're supposed to follow with your body. I think that's something that you're supposed to do. So like, I'll try and do the same. So the kids are like moving side to side. I'm like, all right, trying to move side to side, follow the ball, and, and learn how to, you know, learn how to play basketball. And, and these are rules that, like, the referee's not going to pull you up if you don't follow with you. Like, that's that's not a rule that's actually kind of governed by the. Re- At least I don't think so. Um, but it's not a rule that's governed by the referee. But the coach isn't there just to, like, make you look funny. And, and it's not just there because he's like, on a power trip or anything. The coach is there because he's trying to teach these kids how to play the game well. Because if you follow these rules, the coach... Like, if you follow the rules that the coach gives you, he's, you're going to play the game so much better. If you can, if you can follow the, the rules that the coach gives you, you know, this is, how, <coughs> this is how you're supposed to shoot, this is how you're supposed to dribble, you play the game well. And God is a God is a good God. 
God doesn't give you these rules just because he wants to see how you go with them. God gives you these rules. God gives you wisdom because he wants you to play the game well. God created us for good. God created us to enjoy his creation. He wants us to be wise because he wants us to play the game well. He wants us to be able to enjoy the game. Wisdom isn't a bunch of rules that God gave us that, that makes us, you know, that we're supposed to follow for the sake of it. And sometimes it might be hard, like learning, learning anything new is hard, but when we, when we learn it, it helps us to play the game well. And so I really want to encourage you, look at those spheres of life, look at how you can be more wise, not, not because it's just some sick game, but because we actually want to play the game well. We want to do life well. God is a good God. He loves you. He wants to see you play the game well. He wants to see you do life well. He wants you to enjoy a relationship with him. He wants to help you enjoy life. He doesn't want to see you make foolish decisions and do silly things. He wants you to play the game well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you love us. Like we, we, we thank you for how, how you give us this wisdom. You give us the opportunity to learn how to play the game well. And, and Lord, please help us to do that. Help us to be disciplined. Help us to follow you when it's hard. Help us to, to understand that we need to cling to you, that you are our Father, and help us to understand and to remember that you are a holy God. Help us to know you. Help us to understand you. Help us to apply that to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.